We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined so is my co-host Nick Pilato. Got a few more days to go here, Nick. I got my best friend's wedding coming up on Saturday. One of my best friends. And out of nowhere last week, let me hear, and then I got my vacation. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. But let me hear your thoughts on this. Out of nowhere, like a week or two ago, maybe, no, it was like only like 10 days ago at most, he asked me to write a speech because, one, he is a weird brother, and his brother is not giving the speech. <laughs> Nicest way to probably put it. The antisocial brother doesn't want to give the speech. And they weren't going to do speeches. Then 10 days ago, I think his fiance's best friend said, I want to do a speech. And now she's like, it's going to be too awkward if he's the only one giving a speech. So all of a sudden, uh, Nick, I got roped into writing and giving a speech on Saturday. I barely started it. I'm pretty good at speeches, but I'm like swamped at work with other things going on. So I haven't even had time to write it. This is very stressful, Nick. Sounds stressful, but honestly, man, I kind of like the best man speech. But I have a whole thing, Dan. Every time I've given a best man speech, and I gave a best man speech at a predominantly Korean wedding when I was best man for one of my best friends who was Korean, and half the wedding didn't speak English. But I just keep it short, (laughs) simple, sweet. I throw in a couple jokes, get a couple laughs, and then I get out of there because honestly, when I'm someone at a wedding, I don't want to hear someone drone on for 20 minutes. I find that to be obnoxious and self-centered. So I just make it short and sweet and from the heart, bro. That's what I'm going to do. Short, sweet. That's the plan right now, especially because a lot of the, and and I got some jokes I've already been weaving into my mind and on on a Google Doc, but I'm very limited here because my friend has made this clear based on the, uh, his wife's side of this thing. It has to be super PG, this speech. And that, you know, there is a lot of X-rated jokes to be made about this 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 brother. But we can't do it. We got to keep them all off. You know, we got to keep it PG. So it's fine. We'll do it. We'll keep it PG. But we're not here to talk about the wedding coming up or my Vegas trip. We're here to talk about the New York Giants. Moving on position previews. And talk about the tight end group today. 
And it's a really interesting group in my mind just because it's as shallow as I can ever remember it. I was trying to think before this show of when the Giants have ever entered a season with a depth chart at tight end that looks anything like this. And that's for a team that, look, didn't invest too much. I mean, they 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 made way with undrafted free agents like Jake Ballard, Bear Pasco, um, Kevin Boss in the fifth round. They found a way to piece together pretty good tight end rooms. They once signed Martellus Bennett for one great season with the Giants. I wish they could add him longer. But ultimately, they're going into 2022 right now, Nick, with a really weak tight end depth chart. That's the only way to say it. They're counting right now. It seems like they're counting on big snaps from a rookie fourth round pick who played at a non-power five, who played in a non-power five conference or potentially, you know, some journeyman types and Jordan Akins and Ricky Seals Jones. Then you got an undrafted free agent in Austin Allen. You got Chris Myrick. They're trying to convert Andre Miller to tight end, but who knows how that's going to happen. And then Jeremiah Hall, who we talked about with the back. So what are your thoughts right now on this group? And do you think the Giants are going to be able to get away with just kind of having such a shallow depth chart at tight end? Because we know this isn't really a position they're going to be able to just find on the waiver wire in August and September. This is a position that's really shallow across the league. Obviously, almost as shallow as it gets right now in the Giants roster. Yeah, it's pretty shallow right now. I feel like there are a little bit of uncertainties here because we don't exactly know what Daniel Bellinger can offer the New York Giants in year one. We know the transition from college to the NFL is a little bit difficult. I'm encouraged by Daniel Bellinger because he was such a dominant blocker for the Aztecs and that whole offense revolves around their rushing game. And every time he was asked to be a receiver, he showed the route running. He showed solid athletic ability for an NFL tight end and he has soft hands. So I think he can contribute in that manner, but I don't know if he's going to start the season off. And the Giants brought in these veteran guys like Ricky Seals-Jones. He's a former wide receiver dating back to his time in college. He's not the best blocker. I'm surprised that he doesn't get flagged almost every time he attempts to block, but he's quick, he's fast, he can high point the football, so he can offer those little things that you need from certain tight ends. And then Jordan Akins is also not a blocker. He's somebody who is familiar with Andy Bischoff, who was his tight end coach in Houston. Now he's the tight end coach here with the New York Giants, but he's also more of a receiving threat, which leads me to Daniel Bellinger. Is Daniel Bellinger going to be the why tight end on this team? Or are they going to try to kind of pigeonhole Ricky Seals, Jones, or Jordan Akins into the into that kind of role, something that they're not necessarily that great at? I, I like thought back to like 2013, man. Remember when the Giants signed Brandon Myers? And we were really excited about that because Brandon Myers had some like huge breakout season. Then he came to the Giants and he wasn't as impressive as we hoped when he came over from the Raiders. They also had Bear Pasco on the roster back then and a young Adrian Robinson and a young Larry Donnell. But Larry Donnell, I know he kind of reminded me of, you know, those used car lots, those wacky, waving, inflatable arm tubes. That's what like Larry Donnell reminded me of. But he had a couple solid, I guess you could say, years with the New York Giants. That's kind of the year where where my mind goes to. Because at the start of that season, we weren't 100% certain what we were getting. And then Brendan Myers maybe didn't live up to what we expected after the 2013 season. Yeah, what a throwback, Brandon Myers. I actually was never a fan of that decision to sign him. Thought it was a bad move, and it turned out to be. He really was was barely solid for the Giants. He, he really ran out of favor fast. I think the issue with Myers is just exactly what you you might be encountering this year with, with the two guys you mentioned in Seals, Jones, and Aikens. They're just not guys you can ultimately rely on in the blocking game, which leads me to believe, because I'm not so sure. Like, Look, I understand Daniel Bellinger's having a quote-unquote great OTAs, but... We've gone over this before in the past. OTAs are just really glorified walkthroughs. They're more for installation. What you hear about, oh, he makes this catch, or Daniel Jones threw to him. 
It's not very important. It's not very telling moving forward at all. Hasn't been in the past, won't be moving forward. It's just mostly good for getting these guys on the same page from an installation process. So I think that, you know, if you're a fourth round pick out of San, you know, where he's coming from with, I don't want to say matching up against guys like you've said before in the past, Nick, we're going to be account accountants in, in their next, <laughs> but not exactly against the guys you're going to have to set the edge. We're trying to set the edge um, in the NFL. And it's going to be a little bit of a transition for him. I'm not so sure he's just going to play this 100% snap roll or something of that nature. And like you said, these other two don't really offer that skill set at all in Aiken Seal Jones. So I kind of look at this group and this tight end depth chart, and I wonder if we're going to see a, a really different offense than we've seen, not only in the past for the Giants, but really different from what Kafka did in KC, different from what Dave's did with the Bills. I just wonder if how how often there's even going to be a tight end on the field with this offense because what what do you gain by throwing Ricky Seals Jones or Jordan Akins at the end of your line of scrimmage? Probably not much in my opinion. Like you think maybe these guys can be contributors in the run game occasionally. I don't know. Maybe these guys can hold their own long enough to to for the, for the so play isn't disrupted. Maybe they can offer something one on one as receivers. But I think you're better off almost detaching someone from the line of scrimmage at that point and and spreading the defense out more and then giving yourself somebody like a Wandell Robinson or whoever it may be, Sterling Shepard, to win a one-on-one matchup in a different way, you know, against maybe an extra defensive back rather than the linebacker there that Seals Jones or whoever would command. So I, to me, it almost feels like it's all or nothing as far as the why goes and as far as traditional tight end goes on Bellinger because I just don't really see anyone else currently on the roster. It, it almost makes me think that they're not finished like with this tight end depth chart. I, I, the other thing though is like, where are they going to get someone from? This is this is almost worse than offensive tackle as far as finding guys now at this position. The Giants could be pulling a 2019 Dave Gettleman looking at a lot of young guys who might not make the final rosters. And these teams are going to try to get sneaky and stash them on their practice squad a la Caden Smith. And then they could scoop up and bring a player like that in. I think it was a point of Joe Shane that he wanted to go out and get these veterans. He wanted to get Jordan Akins because I'm sure Bischoff probably vouched for him because of the link there and their past experience together. And then Ricky Seals Jones has some upside as a receiver over the middle of the field. Unfortunately, the New York Giants witnessed that in week two on that touchdown over a Dory Jackson, one of the most incredible throws and catches probably of Washington's 2021 season, which is obviously devastating. But I tend to agree with you on the Daniel Bellinger point, because when you want to run the football, you, you tend to run towards the strength, which means the tight end is going to be out there. Say it is 11 personnel and Aikens and Seals Jones. Those are suboptimal, subpar blockers to the strength. Whereas if Bellinger can prove himself, you can have him to the strength and then you can run duo type of blocking scheme. If Bellinger can lose slowly enough and just hold up the point of attack long enough to allow Saquon Barkley to find the hole and accelerate up to the second level. It's hard to kind of gauge, though, and I think you did a good job pointing to this a little bit earlier because Bellinger was playing against you know non-Power 5 guys a lot of the times in college. How far along is Daniel Bellinger as a blocker relative to Seals, Jones, and Aikens? I'm not 100% certain if I want to say that he is right now just because right. Aikens and, and Seals, Jones have done it at the NFL level. Now, if Bellinger had the type of experience and was older like those players, I would have a lot more confidence in the technique that Bellinger does show. But it doesn't mean the strength is going to translate in year one because that is a big jump from college to the NFL in order to be a blocker. And I think we have to look at it from that framework. Who is going to be the predominant wide tight end when the Giants do want to run the football inside and even outside to the play side on strong yeah. side runs? Yeah, it's a great point, Nick, because 
it's like we think this could be a non-traditional offense. We think it's going to look different. It probably is from what we're used to, for sure, from the Giants at least. I mean, look, Jason Garrett ran a lot of 12. Jason Garrett ran some 13. There are some formations that were just so old school that he would throw out there. It's not going to look like that. I think this is I – mean, I mean, if you ever were just guessing on what we're going to see and just being like, ah, well, we don't know if what, what they're saying is happening in OT is going to be true, all you have to do is look no further than this tight end depth chart. here, <laughs> And you could know for sure that this is not going to look like a traditional offense that's running old school 12 personnel. They, I, I can't even imagine they're going to run one play in 12 personnel right now, Nick. Like, what are they going to – what are we going to do? See Seals, Jones, and Aikens on the field at the same time? Like, we'll, we'll probably, I guess, see some formations with your – Jeremiah Hall, whoever ends up kind of winning that H-back role if they have one, but with maybe him in a tight end occasionally, I don't know. I honestly feel like there's going to be very few examples, though, of 12 personnel for this team, and certainly not 13 personnel, at least as the roster is constructed right now. Because like you said, sure, he's shown good technique and good blocking on film, Daniel Ballinger, but yeah, that was against players who aren't playing at the NFL level, who wasn't playing in a power five, like you said. And there's a jump from a play speed standpoint when it goes to the NFL. you got to learn to play fast to learn to stop second-guessing yourself, and that comes with time. And those other guys have been in the NFL before. I think, though, that what, what just alarms me a bit, Nick, is that you've watched the film on, on, on both these guys, Seals Jones and Aikens, and it just doesn't feel like the Giants are putting, at least to me, it doesn't feel like the Giants are putting their best players on the field if they're lining either of them up as the wide tight end. I'm more okay with them in the backfield as an H-back, something tricky, something interesting, or just honestly just detach from the formation as a big slot. I just think that I, it's not alarming. It's just I don't see that. I don't think the Giants will see value in having those guys on the line of scrimmage very often. I think it's all contextual. There are times where you're going to want to, even on early downs, maybe third and short, second and short, whatever you want to do, depending on how the defense is aligned across from you if they're showing you a favorable run box a lot of the times during the game you're going to want to put a tight end out there and try to take advantage of that so I think it all depends on that and in terms of Ricky Seals Jones and Jordan Akins I feel like there were times more maybe even Ricky Seals Jones where Washington would use him as that H back and they would use him on split zone type of action coming across the line of scrimmage kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage to try to create a cutback lane and then eliminate that pursuit defender and one thing ricky seals jones does possess is pretty solid athletic ability i mean he's a fast guy and he's big he's six foot five you know 245 pounds now that's not huge for a tight end but with the athletic ability that he does possess that will allow him to at least take advantage of some linebackers as a mismatch type of player in the passing game but my major concern about this position group it tends to be as a run blocker and that's kind of where I'm very interested to see because I think we're going to see a little bit more running than we saw up in Buffalo because they barely ran the football up in Buffalo everything revolved around Josh Allen the Giants have Saquon Barkley Buffalo had freaking Devin Singletary and Zach Moss so you're probably going to see more running it's not going to be as much as Jason Garrett but you still need that tight end to block And that's probably going to be one of those things during training camp that I'm going to try to at least witness through the videos that the people on the beat are putting out there. You want to see, oh, is this guy holding up the edge against Kayvon Thibodeau or Aziz Ojolari? How's Daniel Bellinger look there? How does Jordan Aikens, Ricky Seals-Jones, et cetera? Because Seals-Jones, at least last season, had Jonathan Bates, that rookie out of Boise, who was on the roster. Jonathan Bates is an absolute stud as a blocker. Jordan Aikens had Farrell Brown, who isn't a complete stud as a blocker, but he's a better blocker than Jordan Aikens. But now... On this depth chart, their positions are tight ends. One of those two, if Daniel Bellinger doesn't, has to rise to the occasion and become that blocker. Which one is it? I'm not certain quite yet. 
Yeah, and I think you bring up a really excellent point, Nick. They'll get creative with the usage of these guys, whether that be as an H-back, like you said, in different ways to kind of use their athleticism, I think, and movement skills in the blocking game, right? Like, I don't know, but that, that, and that, I think, is all fair play and all, all potentially will be utilized often when they're on the field. But as far as just lining them up as the Y, right? Like, the hand in the dirt, I just don't, I don't see it right now with anyone but potentially Bellinger. Uh, even though he has those hurdles that you mentioned to overcome. I really look at this group, and I think they're going to add someone. I don't really know how or when or where. This is, again, a really tough position to find. But let's talk about what they can do when they're not being used as blockers, as actual receivers right now, whether that be in line or detached from the formation as a big slot. What do you, what do you see these guys adding to the Giants passing game? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the most interesting one, other than Daniel Bellinger, because there's a little bit of an unknown, so I really want to focus on Seals Jones and Aikens yeah. right here, the two veterans that the Giants brought in. I think Seals Jones has more of that mismatch element. I feel like he's probably better at creating separation against man or zone coverage. We see the acrobatic catches that he's made in the past, obviously, like I brought up a little bit earlier against the New York Giants. You see how he's used across the middle of the field. He has soft hands and that former receiver background that he has is it still comes in handy and I believe he's only 28 years old right now he's somebody who always falls forward through contact he's not you know the biggest or thickest he's not going to just bowl safeties over but he tends to fall through contact and I think Jordan Aikens from what I've seen he's he's not as good as Ricky Seals Jones but I also feel like the tight end position in Washington's offense was more involved in the tight end position in Houston's offense last season. I mean, remember Logan Thomas back in the 2020 season, he had a huge role. He was hurt last year. So Ricky Seals Jones kind of had to step up and assume that role. Whereas down in Houston, it was, there wasn't a true number one tight end. It was Jordan Akins. It was Pharaoh Brown. They had somebody else down there that the name is kind of escaping me right now. They had so, Fels for a while, Daniel Fells or one of the earlier. Yeah. One of the, yeah. Fells, <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think Jordan Aikens, he, he can do a solid job operating over the middle of the field, just make a catch. He's not going to make a lot of guys miss. He's another guy who's going to be physical and attempt to fall through contact. If I had to pick one of those two players, I might lean towards Seals Jones. I think there's a higher ceiling for Seals Jones, but to not to be negative, but to go back on it, neither of these guys are you know, true difference makers. And that's why they're veteran guys who sign incredibly cheap deals to join a tight end room that doesn't have a proven veteran. This is their chance to kind of really have that season that can make a next stamp and be like, look, I'm ready to sign another contract. Bring me in. I, I haven't lost a step. Yeah, exactly. Nick. And part of why seals Jones had more opportunities just because of the quarterback that was there. I mean, you have a situation, you had a situation in Washington where, he was willing to throw the seam ball. Like he was willing to put his yes. receivers in danger often <laughs> throwing the seam ball when he shouldn't have been throwing it with safeties over the top. But that helps his tight end. I do think that gave us more film to watch though and to evaluate as far as plays being made on the football. And Seals Jones, in my opinion, has really good body control in the air. That's one of the things that you can't teach. He really is natural and fluid. You said it as a wide receiver background and it shows up. I think he can offer a little bit in the passing game. I really do, especially with all the attention being placed on and kind of focused on all these other skill position players that are on the Giants, including Saquon Barkley, like you mentioned, who will be utilized more as a receiver. I do think it'll uh, afford some opportunities for Seals Jones. And I think we can't forget, you know, Daniel Jones has shown in the past, especially in 2019, the ability to work the seam. And he, I thought at that point in that 2019 season was doing a better job, especially when Caden Smith came in uh, toward the end of that season of honestly utilizing the seam better than Eli Manning. I thought one of the things that Eli Manning always struggled with was kind of utilizing the seam. He did a good job of it when Martellus Bennett was on the roster, but that was really the only year. Um, and maybe that's a that's a credit, you know, that's a knock on the Giants for not getting him somebody at the tight end position. But that was what Evan Ingram was supposed to help them do, and he just never did. Um, and, and, and ultimately with Daniel Jones, it wasn't really a factor either. Most of Evan Ingram's damage came on those slot verts toward the, toward the outside hash or, or those crossers. So, I feel like Seals Jones can give them something in that regard that they don't have on the roster. If Daniel Jones wants to utilize him like that and, and give him opportunities in that way, I am definitely more excited about Seals Jones than I am Aikens. I think Seals Jones legitimately has some ups, some genuine upside as a receiver in the red zone, as a receiver in the, around the seam, and just ultimately as somebody who can throw one-on-ones to that I don't really feel like Jordan Aikens can do that. And, and quite frankly, I don't really feel like Daniel Bellinger offers that skill set right now at least either. So that'll be interesting to me. I want to talk a little bit with you about Austin Allen on drafted free agent they signed. Here, I, I'm curious to get your take on Allen because I, I've watched a little bit more Allen lately. I'm not as enthused as him from a receiving standpoint as I originally was, but I wonder if it was partially just because of how he was utilized in that Nebraska offense. And then my other question for you on, on Allen would be, Nick, he certainly has the frame, right, at six foot eight. He's going to grow into his body with an NFL program and NFL eating and NFL nutrition and, and all those things of that nature. He's going to probably put on more mass and more muscle. Can he evolve into that plus blocker that we need or that true traditional Y tight end? I feel like out of all the guys in this roster outside of Bellinger, he probably has the next most upside to do that. Where is he at from a blocking standpoint? Is it enough to get him on the field right away? Right away, probably not. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation come cuts with Austin Allen, because if Austin Allen has a really good training camp and a good preseason, I think the Giants have to give him one of those roster spots if he ha if he does break up. Because I do see a blocking foundation from a player like Austin Allen. And dude, the guy is six foot eight, but like he's almost six foot nine. And I've criticized his athletic ability. I think he is solid when he can build his speed up. So his acceleration yeah. is there, but he is not going to make a lot of players miss in the short 
areas of the field, catch the football, you know, juke. He, he's he's kind of stiff. He's not very fluid. But when you watch his film, dude, you watch the Minnesota game, you watch the Wisconsin game, you see how tough he is over the middle of the field. The reason why I brought up the 2013 class before, not just because Brandon Myers, I mean, he's kind of like the Akins or the Ricky Seals Jones, but you had the two rookies. You had a fourth round pick in the JPP of tight ends, Adrian Robinson, but then you had Larry Donnell, who was an undrafted guy at a Grambling State. And he didn't have the best career, but he had the one season in 2014 where he had six touchdowns, primarily because three of them came on Thursday night football against Washington. Maybe Austin Allen can be what Larry Donnell was. He can come in and he can give the Giants four solid years. And I think Allen has a much higher upside as a blocker than a Larry Donnell had when he entered the Giants back in 2013. So that's kind of where I my head was at when I brought up 2013. I think Allen can possibly be a Larry Donnell if he can prove himself early on. And I'm wondering if Ricky Seals-Jones or Jordan Aiken's roster spot would be in jeopardy as veterans if Austin Allen had a great training camp. I'm not too certain on that because I think the Brian Dable might just want veterans on the team and not too many rookies at the tight end position. But I think there's a conversation there. Yeah, for sure, especially when you consider what they did in the past in Buffalo, which does not always have a lot of tight ends active for a game day. <laughs> like, there's simply not a team that utilizes tight ends often, and partially that could be because of their personnel, with really just Dawson Knox there. Um, but now they signed O.J. Howard, which will be interesting. I'm curious to see what they do with O.J. Howard and Dawson Knox on the roster, but time will tell on that front. I still think they're going to be predominantly, you know, an 11 personnel, 10 personnel type team, but. Allen at six foot eight, almost six foot nine. I really feel like he should be already. A, I, I feel like he should almost be a better blocker just based on his frame alone. Uh, but that may be something that he just needs to come into at the time. But I agree. There's a chance that they just end up cutting one of those two. Neither of them were signed to major contracts, Seals Jones or Aikens. And they don't really have any kind of long-term ties to either of them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there with that group with Allen. I would say his major flaw as a blocker, like he's tough. You know, he has, he, he tries to get his hands inside. He tries to frame his blocks. Well, but when you're six foot nine, dude, your leverage is just so high. Right. Your pad level is so high. So it's hard for you to establish that low point of contact to really engage your legs through your core and through your hips and really take advantage and rise an opponent up because you're just so damn big. So if he can overcome that somehow early in his career, then I'm very, very interested because he does show some technical I would say a solid technical understanding on how to block. It's just the pad level is way too damn high. Let me ask you a question on that though, Nick, just a curious football question for me, because I agree with that. It's probably the case. And I, you know, you've seen so many examples of the opposite working well, right? Like Dalvin Tomlinson leverage and his low ability of the ground was a huge factor in what, what made him what he was, you know, there's countless examples of running backs when Maurice Jones drew as far as, you know, breaking tackles, creating yards after contact. But Rob Gronkowski is one of the best blockers I've ever seen at the tight end position. He's super long and tall. So what really have you, if you've just, just from maybe any of your musings watching Gronk or block or anything like that, what made him so good? At, and is there any way it can help you to have that kind of frame? Cause I almost feel like it can go both ways. It can definitely help if you have that big frame because you just can, you're, you, you know, you have a wider base and you're able to kind of get to spots quicker. It's bend, bro. It's your ability to yeah. bend and, and really sink your weight fluidly and then get low and then explode low to high quickly. Like you can get low, but if you just stay low and you just kind of shift your feet and you're not engaging any power or uncoiling your hips into contact, you're not going to be able to really do anything to the defender. And that's something that I yet to see a little bit more from Austin Allen. But Gronk, man, that guy is fluid. That guy is a true yeah. athlete. 
at his size. He's not six foot nine or anything, but he's still a really big freaking guy. That's why Gronk is going to go down as one of the best tight ends of all time. We talk about the Gronk spike and how he was as a receiver, but his ability to block on the play side, bro, he can handle like a 270 pound edge and just seal the edge and create a rushing lane for his running back. That's uncommon for the modern tight end, but Gronkowski does that. He's, he's phenomenal. But in terms of Austin Allen, I remember watching the Iowa game, and I haven't seen it in a little bit, but when the Giants signed him, I went back and I watched the Iowa game, and he had several blocks where he kicked out to the play side, so it was a strong side run. It was typically a toss by Nebraska, and he was able to get outside of the Iowa edge defender and then create a seal and just kind of, even though his pad level's high, just kind of run with him and, and just not allow him to get outside, which gave his running back or quarterback, whoever the heck was rushing the football, the space to pick up extra yards. Like he, he was the play side run defender for, I think I got 25 yard gain, a 20 yard gain. So that's pretty good when you see him doing that against a defense as talented as Iowa. Now they don't have like five-star guys, but in terms of continuity and just being able to execute your run fits and keeping the defense intact i was really really good that's why they were one of the better teams this season so right. that was one game that kind of stuck out to me and, and gave me a little bit of hope about austin allen was his ability to block in space despite the fact that he's freaking six foot nine yeah and there you go i mean that this is definitely playing a huge role in that as well all right anything else on this current tight end group before we kind of turn the page and start to rank where the giants receiving core is and for this exercise we're going to rank receiving options together that includes all the tight ends and receivers on every roster where do the giants uh stand as far as what do they offer for the quarterback but anything on these players before we move forward yeah andre miller he's a he's a practice squad guy he's, he's the next rice and john not as big but the converted wide receiver they're going to try to make a tight end you know feed him some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches add him to wait see if he can block jeremiah hall if the Giants really want like a true H-back and like a, a Swiss Army knife of a running back, tight end, H-back, Jeremiah Hall has a chance. We talked about him on the running back podcast, though. And then I think we should just probably bring up Chris Myrick's name. He was on the Giants last season, caught the touchdown against Philadelphia, and then the Bengals came in and signed him. He went on the playoff run with the Bengals, and now he's back with the Giants. He actually has a realistic shot to crack this roster just because it's not necessarily too deep of a depth chart right here at the tight end position. But Chris Myrick isn't necessarily he was more of a Joe Judge guy, so he'll have, he'll have to prove himself to Brian Dable, but he'll have every shot to do it just because the tight end room is not that great right now. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be opportunity for everyone there. All right, Nick, let's see. Give me your give me your uh, top ten receiver rank, like the the ten best receiver cores right now in the NFL, including tight ends. Yeah, so we include the tight ends, and once I, I did a wide receiver list, and then I did a tight end list, and they are pretty different because my number one wide receiver was the Bengals, but my number one wide receiver with the tight end is actually the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Preston Williams. And then when you add Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, and Hunter Long, those are four pretty solid tight end options with Gesicki being a, a, a mismatch nightmare as a tight end who also plays slot receiver, who's a little bit more of a receiver. Shaheen can block. Hunter Long is kind of a dual threat with that. And Smythe is a solemn blocker as well. So I have the Dolphins at number one, the Bengals at two, the Bucks at three, the Rams at four, the Raiders at five. I mean, when you have Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, and Darren Waller, that's enough to, to put you in the top five, in my opinion. And then I have the Eagles at six, Seahawks at seven, 49ers at eight, and then the Cowboys at nine, Bills at 10. Pretty similar list to me. Bengals and Dolphins are my one-two. I think right now the Tyreek Hill-Waddle combination might be the best in the NFL. They might push for above the Bengals, but I thought right now, for now, Boyd gave them the edge. 
a couple teams I had uh, I had the Eagles much higher than you. I had the Eagles three. I think A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are unbelievable receivers. I think A.J. Brown's already there. Devontae Smith's going to get there this year. It's really shitty the Eagles have both of those guys. And I think, personally, Dallas Goddard's one of the best and most underrated tight end talents in the NFL. He's been held back by a lot of bad quarterback play throughout the years. But if you watch that guy, his movement skills and his ability as a route runner, in addition to his hands, size, explosiveness, I think he's one of the most underrated tight end talents in the NFL. The only other difference we had, I think, on this list was... I have the Steelers up in my top 10. Did you mention the Steelers? No, I actually have the Steelers yeah. at 16 with Deontay Claypool Pickens. And I love Fryer Muth. I love Calvin Austin. There's a lot of depth there. I think Pickens, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. I believe in the skill set, but there's off the field stuff. I, I don't really want to read too much in that, but I have him in the tier three cluster with the Cardinals, the Steelers, the Jets, and the Saints. And those are the only four teams I have in that tier three. Yeah, I have them all the way up at eight because I think Deontay Johnson's one of the best players in the NFL at receiver. I think he's top five, top 10, and no one realizes it. If you look at all the advanced numbers and all the film, the route running is a, it's Antonio Brown-esque. And there's like one to three people who can do that right now in the NFL, get separation on the consistent basis that he's able to. Then you look at George Pickens, a player who I think had a case to be the best receiver in this entire prospect in this entire draft class, in my opinion, besides maybe Jamison Williams. Claypool, another talent I like. Calvin Austin, I like. And then Fryermuth is the big one for me because I think he's just like the best version of what Penn State tight end that's come out uh, over this last five, 10 years. He is, yeah. So I just really like them. Otherwise, though, what? let's look at some other. Where did you have the Giants on your list? Yeah, so I had the Giants at 20. And they're in the cluster right beneath the Cardinal Steelers Jets and Saints. So they're in tier four and it starts with the Lions who I had to go back and forth with this because I like the Giants receiving core. I, you know what? I say this and then I go back and forth because we think of the Lions receiving core as being pathetic from last season. And Amon Ross St. Brown was, you know, a rookie sensation down the stretch of the season. They acquired Josh Reynolds mid-season. Quintez Cephas gets hurt, but he looked really damn good when he was out there in the beginning of the year. But they acquired DJ Chark, who is very underrated, and then Jamison Williams. And they have TJ Hawkinson. I think I have to put the Lions over the New York Giants when, when you look at it from that standpoint. Yeah, I think it's close, but Hawkinson probably gives them the edge. I think that's similar case for a few of these other teams I had around the Giants. Uh, the Chiefs are an example. I got to push them up because Kelsey. The Browns, I pushed them up because of Njoku. Um, but after that, you know, the Giants are in my 21, 22, 23 range after all the pushdowns for the tight end. They're worse at tight end. I think Galladay is the big question mark for me. I believe in Tony's talent. He has to stay healthy. And then there's a bunch of undersized guys who also, we believe in their talent, but they got to stay healthy. So there's still a lot of question marks on this team. They're more in that range of question. Uh, teams I, I at least like, you know, have questions about. Same here. And behind the Giants at 21, I had the Patriots, Washington at 22, Browns at 23, Panthers at 24, Jags at 25, and the Ravens at 26. And then that ends that fourth tier. And then the fifth tier are the Titans, Falcons, Colts, Packers, Bears, and Texans. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I, and, I, and I think the biggest disparity, Dan, that I had, because I'd made that receiver list and then I added the tight ends, two teams that I had hovering around the top five. Some I think one of them was in the top five. Another one was six but they're outside of the top 10 for me because of their tight end position and the lack of proven talent that they have. There are the Chargers and the Vikings who I actually have at 12 and 13 because like Justin Jefferson, dude, like he's so fun to watch, man. He's such a damn good football player. But then you look at Adam Thielen, you're like, how much longer does that guy have? And then KJ Osborne, Smith, Marset, BC Johnson, 
Irv Smith, who's always injured, and then Johnny freaking Munt. So <laughs> it's like, I have him at 13, but I'm like, dude, I might be a little bit high on the Vikings, if I'm going to be honest. A lot of that is just predicated on Adam Thielen's ability to win in the red zone, but he's getting old, and then just the incredible ability of Justin Jefferson. And then I have a 12, I have the Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, Gerald Everett, Donald Parham Jr., and then Trey McKitty. Yeah, that, 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 that's an incre- interesting group right there. I think the most interesting team on this list for me, though, was the Chiefs. I did not know what, what to do with the Chiefs, and I had them at 11, and I think I'm being a little high on the Chiefs, but I'm looking at that depth chart, right? You got Juju, okay? That's, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. He, he's kind of more known for TikTok at this point, but he's still a really good receiver over the middle of the field type of guy. He's not going to beat you deep, but he can be a chain mover on third down. Miko Hardman, pure speed, MBS, incredible blocking wide receiver. Also somebody who has deep speed. You know, that's a huge part of what Andy Reid wants to do and what Pat Mahomes can do with his incredible arm talent. You bring in Sky Moore, another intermediate option who can win deep. You have that wild card, two wild cards, Josh Gordon and Justin Ross. What are they going to offer? And then you add in Travis Kelsey. It's like, where do, where would you put the Kansas City Chiefs? Because I put them at 11, but I, I could be talked off of that. And it's just Travis Kelsey is such a, such a big home run for me in this ranking. And that's kind of why I have him just outside the top 10. Yeah, I had them just around that Giants range, honestly, like right in the 18-19 range because they're pushed up for me by Kelsey. But I'm not I'm not huge. on. I don't like MVS at all from a skill set standpoint. Uh, I wasn't as high on Sky Moore as you were. And I'm sure I'm going to be dead wrong about that. Um, Cole Hardman, I think, is a terrible NFL receiver. And then Juju, to me, hasn't done much in a while. It's really a bad group, to, for me at least, outside of the upside of Moore and then Travis Kelsey. Um, another team I was a little different on was the Pat was the Patriots. I have them all the way down in my final tier, despite liking John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. I am not big on Myers, Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Parker. I like Tecon Thornton. I think that group is a little bit overrated as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I have them right behind the New York Giants. And the way I looked at it was Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. I love that. I know they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel, and I think that's one of the better 12 personnel packages in the National Football League. But I don't have that star power as a wide receiver. And this is why I was like, where do, exactly do I rank them? Because you look right beneath where I have the Patriots ranked. Washington, Terry McLaurin, stud, just earned a new contract, absolute star. Mari Cooper, star, I would say. DJ Moore, I think he's a budding star. And Rashad Bateman, I think he can be a star. I have them down at 26, but I'm not really high on the Ravens anyways, even though they have Mark Andrews. So I went back and forth, but I like Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, and Tyquan. I like all those receivers. Just none of them move the needle as like a true number one. I feel like they're all just good number two, number three types. Devontae Parker can be a number one, but how dynamic is he? Can he stay healthy? And who is the speedster other than Tyquan Thornton on this roster? He's the number one guy. Are we even going to see him play that much in New England's offense? And what's this New England offense even going to look like with Josh McDaniels as the head coach of the Raiders? I just think there's a lot of question marks there, but I, I, I'm okay with them being at 21 for me. Give me your group that you think has the best chance to make the biggest jump as we talk about them next year. Cause I have one straight in my mind that I love. I'm higher on them than most and I'll go over it after, but Give me your group that has the best chance to make the jump. Okay, so I have the Broncos at 14. If I had them lower, I would say them because I think Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick with Russell Wilson and KJ Hamler, that, that group can vault into like the top six Sutton, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, of course, Cortland Sutton too. Like That group would be the one that I would name, but I want to go outside of the top 15 
And I'm going to go with the Lions, man. If Jamison Williams can mm. return by like week two or week three, because I think Amon Ross St. Brown, you could do so much with Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he's very, very underrated as a route runner, as a weapon in the short to intermediate parts of the field. I think he's very tough. And you add two speedsters in DJ Chark and Jamison Williams. DJ Chark's a big physical type of receiver as well. Quintez Cephas, I feel like he is somebody else. If he comes back healthy, he's could be like a solid third to fourth option, depending on how the depth chart shakes out. So I think the Lions could be that the only thing that's going to hold them back is the quarterback situation so if we're just talking off of the skill set of the receivers i think the lions but i'm not overly optimistic because of jared goff yeah and that's fair my, my sleeper team for the jump would be the colts i think michael Pittman has another step in him he's i love them coming out of college same thing goes for alec pierce who they added but my main team, I think, would be the Jets. I think the Jets have a really, really good chance of evolving into one of the better receiver cores in the NFL. Just Moore and Garrett Wilson alone, to me, have flashes of the light version of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Not the real version, the light version. But then you also add in Corey Davis, who I think still, when healthy, is a really good option. Uh, Braxton Barrios. And then really what I think is maybe the deepest tight end core in the NFL. Yep. It sounds crazy, but adding Jeremy Rucker to CJ Uzamoa, I don't know how to pronounce that right, and Conklin, <laughs> like you teams like the Giants don't even have one tight end right now that you can definitely count on to play the wire to give you 80% of the snaps right now. The Jets have 3 and we really really like Rucker and I think that he's a really good fit for that system too. I think the three deepest rooms right now in at the tight end that I'm trying to look through this hastily but they're definitely up there. I think the Dolphins are up there. It's one of the reasons why I have them at number one. And then I also think the Cardinals, which doesn't really yeah. make sense, but you have Zach Ertz, you have Trey McBride, who they drafted, you have Max Williams coming back from wow. the injury, but you're like a team that runs 10 personnel more than almost <laughs> anybody else in the National Football League. So it's a little bit weird that the Cardinals went in that direction, but maybe they're going to change their offense a little bit. You know, you don't have Chase Edmonds anymore. You have that hard-nosed runner in James Conner that you just brought back on a three-year deal. So maybe we're going to see a little bit more 11, see a little bit more 12 personnel, and you're going to see a little bit more tight end utilization with two speedsters out there, Rondell Moore, Marquise Brown, when you're 11 personnel, obviously DeAndre Hopkins when he comes back. I think that offense could be interesting if they could pull it all together. But I live out here in the Valley, Dan, and to be honest with you, man, the radio, it's, it's a lot of confusion on what the heck is going on with Kyler Murray and what the heck is going on with that team. Yeah, what a weird team. I think they have the most overrated coach in the NFL on that team in Cliff Kingsbury. And I think they've done such a stupid, poor job of building around Murray. This is a guy who thrived behind a really good offensive line at Oklahoma, and they just haven't done enough to build out his offensive line, in my opinion, at all. They've made countless decisions in the draft to overlook offensive line, starting with the Isaiah Simmons pick and then this year as well. I just don't really understand what their plan is on the offensive line, and I think it's going to continue to get them hurt. And We'll what, what, they, what they did last year was they brought in Rodney Hudson, and that was a huge signing for them. <laughs> but the dude didn't show up to mini camps, mandatory yeah. mini camps. Rodney Hudson didn't show up, and I, I don't know exactly what's happening with that situation. That's something for the Cardinal fans to monitor. But they do have Will Hernandez now, man. They do have yeah. Will Hernandez. Good for them. All right, that's all we have on the tight ends, and we rank them with the receiver groups. Keep it locked and loaded on Big Blue Banter. More position previews coming. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this. Offensive line is going to be a big, fun one. Defensive line is going to be a big, fun one. Second-level unit guy is going to be a big, fun one. Secondary, those will be fun ones as well. And then we're going to do some other things coming up as well as we move forward. All-time Giants draft. So if you do want to join that, let us know. Reach out via the comments. Leave us a rating. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.